And we're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 16 through 9 through 15. So I'm going to read a longer passage, but 2 Corinthians chapter 8, 16, 9 through 15. We've been working our way through the book of Corinthians for a number of weeks now. And one of the benefits of that is that we just take what comes up next, the next topic that is covered. And so these last two weeks, what he's covering um, is our generosity and our giving. It was just how it comes up in the text. So we're going to look at 2 Corinthians 8, 16 through 9, 15, if you want to follow along. And as you re- listen and as we see this, just notice how active God is in this passage and notice how human the Apostle Paul is as he writes this passage. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 16. I'm going to read all the way through chapter 9. But thanks be to God, who put into the heart of Titus the same earnest care I have for you. For he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he is going to you of his own accord. With him we are sending the brothers, who is famous among all the churches for his preaching of the gospel. And not only that, but he has been appointed by the churches to travel with us as we carry out this act of grace that is being ministered by us for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our goodwill. We take this course so that no one should blame us about this generous gift that is being administered by us. For we aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. And with him we are sending our brother, whom we have often tested and found earnest in many matters, but who is now more earnest than ever because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker for your benefit. And as for our brothers, they are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. So give proof before the churches of your love and of our boasting about you to these men." Now it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints. For I know your readiness, of which I boast about you, to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia, which was the capital where Corinth was the capital, has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I am sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter." So that you may be ready, as I said you would be. Otherwise, if, you, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you. For being so confident, so I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised, so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exact exaction. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest 
of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God for the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thanks for your unbelievable grace on us. As a church, Lord, as people, Lord, as we think of those who gave their lives so that we could even gather at the beginning of a week freely to worship you, we thank for the sacrifice, we want to lift up even the widows and the widowers today of those men and women, that you and their children, that you give them grace, that you give them a comfort today, a peace, that you draw them close to yourself. Lord, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray that you would just give us, Holy Spirit, the grace that we need that we would hear, be encouraged this morning. Lord, I pray that you would comfort those who are sick. You would strengthen them. You would bring healing. Lord, you just give us grace that we would just enjoy you. And thanks for your generosity to us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. This weekend is... Memorial Day, Memorial Weekend, and for us, it is often a delight. Everybody gets, most people get a day off tomorrow, so there's a delight part of Memorial Day uh, that, you know, we, we, we think about probably more than the other side, but there's also a delight and there's a danger of Memorial Day. The danger part is what makes Memorial Day Memorial Day, the loss of everyone. My, my, my classmate, Dale Gotts, I put it in our email yesterday, was an army chaplain in 2010 in Afghanistan. Um, I went to class with him. I graduated with him in 2000, um, and he was a pastor for about a year or two, felt called to go serve back again in the military as a chaplain. And while in Afghanistan, um, Two weeks after he'd gotten there, after serving a year in Iraq, uh, was killed. He was the last army chaplain to be killed in active duty since the Vietnam War. There's a real danger. As we think about Memorial Day, there's a delight for us, but there's also real danger. As we look at this passage, it talks about giving, finances. It's true with money as well. There's a real delight and there's danger. Jesus said in Matthew 6, Jesus said, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And Jesus went on to say, No one can serve two masters. For he, he will either hate the one or love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And the Apostle Paul, continuing what Jesus taught in 1 Timothy 6, 6-9, says this, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing... 
With these will, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, and to many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Jesus said there's great delight and there's great danger when it comes to finances and money and how we deal with them. And he calls us, and he's called us in his last two chapters through his example to be asked for and have this gift of grace, this gift of generosity. And we need to be reminded of it because the desire to be content, to be content is tough in our culture. We swim in a culture that says don't be Content, And so he's encouraging this church who also swam in a culture where it was not easy to be content with what you have for the Corinthians. So this morning, as we continue to look at this, I would just ask you to consider, as you consider your finances, your generosity as a follower of Christ, does the flag of Jesus Christ wave over them? Martin Luther, the great reformer, said this, there are three conversions a person needs. They need the conversion of their head, they need the conversion of their heart, and they need the conversion of their pocketbook. That's what we are called to as Christians. And so Paul is addressing this, and the picture that God wants, as he demonstrated in 2 Corinthians, that for, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. The picture that God gives and that Jesus gives when it comes to finances and resources is always open-handed generosity, looking for who you can serve. This is the picture that Jesus had for us, this is open-handed generosity not for what we often see, close-handed hoarding. You know, what can I get for myself? And this is what Paul was encouraging this church to. He told them, hey, the church in Jerusalem, there's great poverty, great destruction. So they've been taking this collection, and he had reminded them a year ago about it, and they were excited about this church in Corinth. was very excited about helping this poor church in Jerusalem. And then they stumbled, fell into some sin and some problems. And then they repented, and he's calling them back. And one of the ways that the Apostle Paul called the church of Corinth back, who said they repented, was to call them in their generosity. He, he said, I, I see that again, your, your, your head's right. You're thinking correctly. Your hearts are right. But the way I'll really know, and the way you'll really know, that you're back in right relationship with God is your pocketbook. Will you go back and continue and finish the offering, the collection that you're going to take? And so he, he speaks about this, but he wants to clear up practical concerns that we all have when people start talking about money. Uh, and he does that very practically at the beginning of this section in verses 9 at the end, he, Paul talks about this collection that he's taking, and, and he says this, and he says this to us in this passage and how he wrote of it, be, be very careful in your care when it comes to giving. He's called us to generosity, and now he's telling this church, hey, I understand it. This is, we're talking about money. This is, we're talking about finances. This is real practical. This is when it really gets real. And he says, I want you to be very careful. I want you to know as you give to this need, I want you to be very careful in your giving and understand the direction where it's coming from. And he says, but, but thanks be to God. 
Before we go further, just know this. When, when, when Paul writes this, when God says about giving for Christians, he, he doesn't do it in a legalistic law kind of way. He never tells them how much to give. He, he never even hints at how much to give. He, he says it's, much, it's a gift of grace that God has given you. He doesn't give them a number. He doesn't give them an amount. He's not beating people up. It's very encouraging when God calls you to give. It's, it's a grace thing. It's a gift thing. That, that's the tone of this passage. But he says, be very careful in your giving. He says, but thanks be to God. As you start collecting this, be very careful in your giving. And here's how I want you to know that you can be careful as you give. Paul says, I'm, I'm sending Titus, who's my right-hand man, and I'm the church is sending the brother who's famous for preaching the gospel. He doesn't even say who he is. He goes, but remember that the brother who is famous among the churches for preaching the gospel. Him and the one other brother that you appointed yourselves, those three, they're the ones that are going to actually take the money. Paul is very practical in this section when he talks about being careful about giving. What he's talking about is active accountability. I mean, we all know in our day and age, there's all kinds of scamming, even in religious circles and churches, people saying, I need you to give me money so I can have my own airplane to spread the good news. It's garbage. It's lies. Don't do it. It's not integrity. There's great danger in that. Even in our local area, there's, there's people who have said, hey, they had their church pay for my African safari as a ministry need. It's a lie. It's garbage. Paul's not that kind of preacher. He's not, that, he's not calling people to that kind of things. He's talking about active accountability. And there's a need for it, even in our day. You may have heard the old story of an old miser who was, who was on his deathbed. And so he called a doctor, a lawyer, and a minister together. And he said, hey, I, I've heard that they say you can't take it with you. Well, I want to. And so he gave each one of them an envelope with $100,000 in cash. And he said, at my funeral, I want you to bring the money envelope, take the cash, and put it back in my coffin because uh, I want to take my money with me. So the lawyer, the doctor, and the preacher, they all took the envelopes, and they said they would do it. So they came to the guy's funeral a couple of days later. He died. They walked up. They put their envelopes in. They all rode together to the gravesite, and guilt just struck the lawyer. The, the lawyer. And he said, I, I got to admit, I, I, I'm in this, trying to get this uh, legal defense fund going, so I took $25,000 out of it, and I put 75000 in. Well, then the, the doctor, he was guilty too, and he said, well, then I'll admit that, I, honestly, I got some medical bills, that I, some insurance stuff I got to do. I took $50,000 out. And I put $50,000 in. And, and the minister, he said, I just can't believe you guys. I'm totally ashamed of you. I wrote a check for the whole amount and put it in there. <laughs> You'll get it. That stuff, unfortunately, is not just a joke. There needs to be integrity in your giving. There needs to be integrity in who you give to and how you give. The, Paul, the people that Paul gave this to, and he said, hey, I want you to, this is the people I want you to give to, there, there was active accountability. And there was, they, they were spiritually able administrators. 
I mean, there's, there was a gravity to these guys. There was a seriousness. There was a, there was a solemnness. So it says in verse 21, Paul says, For we aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. There's a gravity to it. There was this, also this gratitude in it. With, with, with who they sent and how they sent it. They, they were very earnest. There was a confidence in them. When you give to this church, I just want to use this as a moment to let you know that there, there's a gravity to how we take care of the finances. When, when we started giving back at the offering, we never take those offerings back anywhere with just one person. I have absolutely no idea who gives and how much people give in this church. I, I never know. Eric Duvick has a great psalmist. He knows. He's the one that takes care of it for us, very conscious of it. Tim, and all, every elder, every deacon that we've ever had here, they take it very serious that people are giving their money to serve the kingdom of God. Any questions someone can have that they could ask? Don't, don't ask me. I don't know. I have no idea. I never look. As we started collecting money over the years, or the, over this past year with COVID, and people are sending envelopes in, if it comes in the mail, I'll, I will get your envelope. And if I see even a name, and I think it might be, I don't even look. I don't open it. I take it, stick it right into an envelope to, to the bag where it goes, and walk away. We want to be very conscious as a church when it comes to administering finances. And there is an actual concern. There's a very careful giving. Paul says, for we aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. That's how as a church we want to do it. Is that how it is with your own finances? Is that how you would say for your own personal finances, for your own business? This is what I aim for as a person who represents Jesus Christ, that I aim for what is honorable in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of men. Paul says very practically, when it comes to giving, it's a very practical matter. Make sure there's active accountability in where and how you give. Make sure it's being administered properly and have a proper concern. Because he went to this church and he's like, listen, I, I, I talked about Macedonia and your willingness to give. And then I talked to the, the church at Corinth about Macedonia. And I want you to give. I'm, I'm concerned, he said. I, in that verses 9, 1 through 5, I'm concerned about how you're giving. And I want to make sure it gets done. You should be concerned about the needs of the church. You should be concerned about the needs of our missionaries. Are we supporting people and things the way we say we are supporting them? This is what the call of Christians is. And this is what Paul's concerned with. But there's an active concern and a careful care in his giving. He's very detailed, very practical. He took the time to write that into Scripture, and God gave that to us. But what does the grace of giving look like in the lives of God's people? What, what is the grace of giving? He said all that. Think about a number of verses, to get to verse 6 of 2 Corinthians 9, 6, he says, he said all that for almost two chapters, and then he says this, the point is this, what does the grace of giving look like in the lives of God's people? Paul says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. We need to be very careful and how we give and who we give to as we are giving to what God has given us. But we also then need to see that there is a clear call of Christian giving. Paul says this is the point. Here it is. 
Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. I mean, we all swim in the water of consumerism. That, that's where we live. This is where we are all living. The, the, the desire in all of us is to claim stuff for ourselves, to close things up, to cling to stuff, and to, and to, to keep it for ourselves. But the illustration that Paul gives is, is sowing. It's, he gives an illustration. Here's the point. He says, be like a farmer who, who's, who takes the seed and he, he sows it because he knows the more he sows, the more that there's going to be reaping. The, the farmers in these fields didn't say, oh, I only got 10 seeds. I'm going to make sure I'm going to put this one here, put this one here, and space it out. I was talking to somebody who was looking at one of the fields around here recently. They saw a wide gap of nothing planted there after the farmer planted, and they're like, they're, they're losing money. They, they didn't sow bountifully. This is the point. He, uh, the farmers would go out and they would, with open-handed, by hand, back then, sow the seed. They just, they, they, they threw it out. It's an illustration of this is what it's to look like. He gives that illustration, that picture, with this explanation. What does the grace of giving look like in the lives of God's people? Negatively, here's how not to give. He says, don't give as an extraction. Don't give grudgingly. Don't give sparingly. Don't give reluctantly. We're not supposed to give like someone's just badgering us and, okay, fine, I'll, I'll, I'll just stop talking about it. I'll give you the money. That's not the heart to give. And you shouldn't give if that's the appeal someone's given to you. But he said, we also are not to give sparingly. He says, we give generously and not reluctantly. As if, oh, okay, God, you were good to me this week. It didn't rain on my party. I'll tip you. Listen, God does not need your money or my money. He owns it all. He, he, he can do whatever he wants with it. He, he doesn't need it, but he calls us to give this way. Don't give sparingly. Don't give reluctantly. But how are we supposed to give? He says we're supposed to give willingly, bountifully, and cheerfully, which goes back to Deuteronomy chapter 15 when it was talking about giving to the poor. Deuteronomy 15 says, if anyone among you, one of your brothers, should become poor in any of your towns within your land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother, but you shall open your hand to him and lend him sufficient for his need, whatever it may be, Take care lest there be an unworthy thought in your heart and you say the seventh year, the year of release is near and your, and your eye look grudgingly on your poor brother and give him nothing. And he cried to the Lord against you and you be guilty of sin. You shall give to him freely and your heart shall not be grudging when you give to him because for this the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all that you, are, you undertake for there will never cease to be poor in the land. Therefore I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother and to the needy and to the poor in your land. The picture that God has given always for us as Christians for generosity is open-handed generosity. And what he's saying is back then they had the, the seven years and then the year of Jubilee where they would release everybody from obligation. And they said, if someone's close to that point and they need, have a need and it's a month away, don't wait. Give it to them now. We get to as Christians now because of what Christ did. 
This is the picture of our lives, this regular, consistent jubilee that we just we are able to release things for God. We are to give willingly, bountifully, and cheerfully. But how do we do that in 2021? What does that look like for you individually? How much should you give? We're not told the number. You're going to have to work that out individually before God based on what God has given you. But do you give enough that it matters? Were you give enough that you know that there's some sacrifice to it? There's some open-handedness to it? C.S. Lewis said this, If our expenditure on comforts, luxuries, amusements is up to the standard common among those with the same income as our own, we are probably giving away too little. If our charities do not at all pinch or hamper us, I should say they are too small. There ought to be things that we should like to do and cannot because our charitable expenditure excludes them. As Christians, are we giving in a way, are you giving in a way that there's some, there's some, yeah, this is open-handed. This is a gift of grace that I'm giving. It's not just, oh, I got, I got it, so here. There's no sacrifice to it. Paul says, God says, we're supposed to give willingly, generously, bountifully. And if you're learning, what's the number, what's the number? The number is, ask God and see if there's a sense where, where, where there, there's, there's, a, there's something to it. And why? Because there's a colossal benefit of Christian giving. Look what he says after that. He says, I want you to be bountiful, cheerful, ungrudging giver. And God is able to make all grace abound. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every Good work. The, the, the benefit of Christian giving is there's this multiplication to it. We're giving for the kingdom of God, to the needs of the kingdom of God, to, to, to those in need. And there's this multiplication where it, it relieves needs of people. It restores hope. It releases thanks. There's this sufficiency to it. As you read all through that, God, God, he supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. There's a benefit. The more we give, the more God gives to be able to give in a way. So there's a sufficiency. This multiplication can go out. There's this security that comes with giving. Verse 9 says, as it is written, he has distributed freely, has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. There's a blessing that comes with it. As the people of God, as, you, as we give and we meet needs and there's a sufficiency and we, we can see that we're meeting people's needs and there's a security that comes for us. That yes, I'm a child of God, not because of what I'm giving away but because of this grace that God has given in me. I, I never thought I could be generous like this, but God did something in my life. The Holy Spirit's in me in such a way that I'm, I'm all of a sudden I'm free to give my resources away. I, I never thought this would be the picture of my life. There's a security that comes 
in that, and then there's a connectivity that comes to that. He says, by this great thanksgiving, there's an overflowing and many thanksgivings to God. The gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution from them and for all others, while they long for you and pray for you. The, the, the beautiful thing about this particular gift was a Gentile church was giving to the needs of a Jewish church. Gentiles and Jews who had nothing in common back in there. They weren't even supposed to like each other. But because of the transformation of the gospel in their life, that Jesus Christ came in, dwelt among them, Gentiles were willing to give to Jews, and Jews were willing to give to Gentiles, and there's an unbelievable unity amongst the church. There's a connectivity to it. That there's a colossal benefit of you living a life of open-handed generosity. God doesn't need our finances, but he gives us the grace to release them for a sufficiency, for a security, for a connectivity. And at the end of all that, verse 15, Paul says this. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. This is what motivated him. That Jesus Christ, who was rich spiritually in every realm, gave it all up so he would become poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. I mean, what is it that you have on your own? What is it that you have collected on your own? If it wasn't for this gift that other people have, we stand in our country today on the sacrifice of other people who've given us these gifts. And Paul, at the end of this, says, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gifts, the gift of the cross. I mean, do you remember as a Christian, do you remember when God came for you? Do you remember the direction your life was going in? What, what was going to be the outcome of that life? And then for some reason, in God's grace, he revealed himself to you. He came to you. He called you from that direction, turned your life around, gave you new life in him give you peace, hope, at the expense of the cross. Do you remember that? This unbelievable, open-handed gift that God has given to you. He calls us to live that kind of way. Open-handed, free surrender. It was an individual who had an accident at work through his, in his life, and his hand got so tight, he could never open it up. And for, for years, his hand was just tight. He, he couldn't open his wrist. And he was with his family on his deathbed. And, and he could never pry it open, as hard as people would try. And then when he died, as soon as his, he died, his hand just released. And it was flexible. The picture for us as Christians is what Jesus did for us calls us to die to ourselves, calls us to die to our stuff. Instead of being closed-handed, hoarding it together, thinking we got it together, we're called to die to ourselves. 
so that we can be giving and die to Christ, so we can be open-handed, freely giving what he has given to us. It's an inexpressible gift that Jesus Christ has given to us, and as he calls you and leads you to give, be a people and continue to be a people that is open-handed, generous, giving to the needs of the kingdom of God. It's not because of us, but it's all that Christ has done through us.